0: The theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. Barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and. These are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in The Spoiler Room.
1: Welcome all you Spoiler Room fans out there. Thank you for joining us once again. Yes, we are doing Bat-Month. If you didn't catch it, we did uh, a little prequel to Bat-Month with our coverage of Batman 1966 and took a little breather in there for Wonder Woman. But now we're full on into June and it's going to be Bat-Month. And part of the reason why I picked June to be Bat-Month was because 1989, Batman premiered this month. Yes, the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton... A Jack Nicholson Juggernaut, which at the time, it was the most expensive production, I believe, to be made at that time. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some other things about the film in general. And I got a great crew with me tonight down in the spoiler room. They've pulled up a chair. And first off, we have the BFD himself, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm super Su- no super. No, we're not doing super. No, sorry. Day. I'm no. sorry. Bat-tastic. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're batastic. There we go. Oh no. <laughs> Glad to have you in the room tonight. And next to him is the bow man himself, Mr. Paul Salzer. Hello, Paul. How are you? I I can't be wonderful then, right? <laughs> you can, just not on this episode. <laughs> okay. I did. Uh, I think uh, you're just being batty but uh, uh, I'm just robbing that from you so <laughs> I love it <laughs> I <do> so well. <laughs> so prepare yourselves folks because we are talking about Batman from 1989 directed by Mr. Tim Burton <laughs> yes, folks, we have here uh, Batman, the uh, big comic book film, which I will say, in many ways, is probably the reason why you have the comic book films that you have today, at least kind of a precursor to all of that. Now, for those three of you out in the universe who may not have heard of the summary of this film, we get the story of the Dark Knight of Gotham City who begins his war on crime with his first major enemy, the clownish yet homicidal Joker. Now, Glenn, do you remember when this film first came out and uh, what was your experience with it?
0: Yeah, I remember when this first came out. Um, I I like this movie a lot. I actually don't care a lot for Jack Nicholson's Joker. Really? Really. I don't care a lot for Jack Nicholson in a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> because Jack Nicholson is always just Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And in some sure. roles, it works out well. In this one, it... <sighs> It didn't feel like the Joker to me. I mean, and, and this is obviously before we had, you know, like the Heath Ledger Joker. and I had, For the most part, the Joker was what I read in comics or from the 1960s Batman. But it just, it just, he felt way too much like Jack Nicholson. Even for me back then, I'm just like, man, it's just, he, I mean, some people say, well, he takes a role and makes it his own. He takes a role and he makes it himself is what it is. Um <laughs> But well, I, it wasn't it wasn't enough to make me not like the movie, even though uh I, I, I rewatched this from time to time and there's just parts where it's you know, I mean I, I watched and I'm just in my head I'm thinking so many other things other than you know, it's like Batman, Batman, Batman. Um because you know, you say his name three times and he appears, and then you can yeah. wait and no, all that's Beetlejuice. juice. Um, <laughs> it's just because Michael Keaton is is also he's he's I think at that time he was uh there was a surprise, I think, that he was cast. Mm-hmm. Um, because he wasn't known for doing anything really serious for the most part. I
1: mean, he was more, you know, he was Mr. Mom. Um so he did do uh, Clean and Sober, I think, before this.
0: Yeah. Uh did he? Possibly. Um But he again, he's he's very I don't know, at times uh his delivery at times is just so look looking back, you know, Hindseck twenty twenty, it's it's you you did it you know Burton did this grittier darker Batman than what we most of us had been used to, and at times Keaton's Batman is is almost all right sounds too much like Mister Mama types, mm-hmm. sure. Um, but again, even with all that stuff, I I still this is one of my favorite Batman films. It's definitely I think the my favorite of the ones leading up to The Dark Knight, and I think only The Dark Knight itself is the only Batman movie I like more than this. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it better than both the sequels to The Dark Knight. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. I saw it twice in the theater. I, I owned it on VHS. So, I mean,
1: it was a good film. Great. Yeah. Uh, I remember this was a bit of a big deal when it came out. Uh, Paul, how about you and your first thoughts with Batman?
2: My memory of it was that I could not watch it when it first came out that uh, opening week because I was working on a farm. A dairy farm at the time. Really? Yeah. So I was I was milking milking cows and and uh, basically <laughs> shoveling uh, crap all over the place and <laughs> thinking about Batman. And I was so excited when when I finally got to be home because uh, mm-hmm. this was in uh, I think Van Dyne was where the farm is. And so um, when I finally got home, I was so excited and and was ready to to, to go watch the film and and I liked it. I really liked it. But here's the funny thing, is I liked it for the excitement, you know, this is, this is the uh, younger me watching uh, an exciting comic book film, and as I was watching the film again the other day to kind of prepare myself for this podcast, I found myself truly liking it for its artistic value and seeing all the things that I truly missed when I was younger, and I can I can understand why people uh, when, when they talk about films, they talk about you know uh, a person a di- the, the director's vision of the film. Mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't really understand Tim Burton's vision of the film until I got to uh, re-watch the film, and I, I just picked out so many more things, and uh, my opinion of Batman, uh, the this version has has gone up quite a bit more than when I originally watched it. So it it, it was really weird. I'm glad you have the show or this podcast about this because I probably would have just left it on the kind of the bookshelf and forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, it's interesting though. Uh, what'd you think of Michael Keaton cast as Batman? Because Glenn is right. Uh, the casting, I mean, we talk about now with the way the internet is and everything, and how casting, like with Batfleck, uh, everybody was like, oh my god, but uh, I was watching some of the behind the scenes stuff and it's interesting that same complaints people have about every character uh, person they've picked to portray Batman came up when they chose this. What do you think of Michael Keaton uh Michael Keaton is
2: just a wonderful actor. I thought uh I will always say that I felt that he was a better Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. than Batman, but his Batman was not bad again, watching it through the second time. You really appreciate. What he was doing with the character, and uh, yes, I, I know people complained about it uh, growing up, but I think he he even hushed a lot of people after they watched it, and you know he's been kind of doing that a lot, you know, throughout his career. Is like people don't expect uh, him to do a, a, a certain thing, and Michael Michael Keaton just comes and he just blows it out of the water, and he really did a good job uh, in this
1: role, and I think he blew it out of the water. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to, I love the film, and I'll get to it in a minute, but I, I will agree with uh, Glenn that it is more Batman versus Jack Nicholson than Batman versus the Joker, though I think he does all right as the Joker, but you, you do see a little more Jack than Joker in it, I think. How do you feel about Jack Nicholson in it?
2: Truthfully, I I thought uh, his performance as Joker was, was very good. Um mm-hmm. I know a lot of people will say, you know, you can't beat uh Heath um Ledger. Uh but I do think Jack Nicholson was a very good Joker. I think he played a different version of the Joker. And in the new fifty or uh in Rebirth, I think they, they talk about uh them being actually distinctly uh different uh different versions of Joker existing in the world. Sure. And uh he does represent one of the uh one of the three jokers and uh it, what's really weird is i think uh that that this discussion about who is the better joker kind of led to that comic book you know right. saying oh. that there's these different versions and he does he, i i don't know i just when you when when i look at him on the screen and yes it's it's kind of jack nicholson but to to see the the expression in his eyes um the the way he he pulls himself you know he he just mm-hmm. when he stands there he he reminds me of a, a really menacing type character and you know it was it was not a it, it was nice especially for someone when you know the age I was when I first watched this film um it was it was uh it was a nice experience and and I guess with with all the newer movies, you know, you, you compare it to different different versions of of him. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I
1: think I think his Joker, even though it's more Jack than Joker, he did have the look. But he was the way they designed his Joker, and and uh, you know, with his clothing and everything, was a bit like out of the comic, but was also felt like a nice, at least them attempting to try to maybe do a bridge from the 66 campy Caesar Romero mm-hmm. who we talked about in the last uh, episode, you know, the Batman episode for 1966 still kind of had the dark side. This is if uh, it was fully realized. Yeah. I think if like Caesar Romero, cause I did kind of get a feel like he was, even though he's bringing his own, he did throw a little bit of, it almost felt like nods to Caesar, like with the, the laugh in that Glenn, did you kind of feel at least maybe a little bit like he was a, bit of a bridge or that they were maybe trying to go for a darker Cesar Romero's Joker, maybe?
0: Uh, I mean, at least in appearance, they were. Right. Um, I mean, there were nods to that Joker. I think, you know, in his his attire at times and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I was definitely going for a a darker Joker than we had been used to. It was less funny, haha, Joker and more, hey, let's kill a bunch of people, Joker. (laughs) Um, You know, it it was more, you know, of a sinister you know criminal that he was you know just kind of a more aloof you know kind of comic booky villain
1: yeah uh, he was and and i i dug him and and i'll just give my quick thoughts before we move on i love this movie i i when this movie came out i became obsessed with this movie i was the first one in line i've got a postcard batman my buddy got me the 1989 Bat logo, uh, and it's from actually 1989, the, the teaser poster that's, poster that's just the logo. I literally clipped when they showed Batman on TV, broadcast TV, I clipped the news article for the listing and taped it to the back of the postcard that I have. I I am a big Bat... this Batman. I watched it like six times in the theater. <laughs> and so... I am trying to contain myself, but this, this is, this is one of my all time favorite films. uh, One of my all time favorite comic book films. I I just love this film because uh, namely, because not only the people in it, it has all great people that I knew. Uh, You know, I was getting familiar more with uh, Jack Nicholson's earlier work. He scared the shit out of me with the shining. And in fact, the shining is probably the film that still scares the hell out of me. Um, But you know, I knew all these people, and to see them all into a film like this was great. But not only that, and watching the behind-the-scenes stuff on the Blu-ray that I got a while back when it came out with the, I think it was for the 20th anniversary of it. Um, yeah, I think it was the 20th anniversary. They came out with the Blu-ray or whatnot, and they had the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you know, up until this point, we really only had Superman for big 10-pole comic book type films. Am I wrong on that, Paul? Or I mean, it was pretty much just Christopher even Superman before this. It's, yeah, as far as I can remember. I mean, whew, I, you know, I don't think. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's, there was Flash Gordon in there, which was ahead of its time. I love Flash right. Gordon too, but, uh, Glenn, do you remember there was? This was pretty much outside of Superman the uh, the big the, the the next big superhero film, wasn't it?
0: this was a Warner Brothers biggest movie up, you know, up to this point. And I think before that it was Superman. So, right? Um, no, this was, you know, this was, and it was our first glimpse of, you know, uh, Batman since, you know, the sixties for the most part, but definitely, live yeah. yeah, live action. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it was. So everybody was hyped and, and watching the behind the scenes stuff. I didn't realize they wanted to make, and how about this? They wanted to make Batman in 79. In the behind the scenes, apparently there was an initial right after Superman, you know, Superman was taking off. There was actually, I guess, United Artists picked up the option. They created Batfilm Inc. or something, and they actually shopped around an early script and drawings for a Batman film that they wanted to do back in 79. It started. It took him 10 years to actually make this film from, from when it was actually presented to when it was actually realized. And I didn't know that. But apparently, yeah, uh, I forgot which, which guy it was, uh, one of the executive producers. He started a comic book course at a college. And soon after that, he got tapped to come in and work on a film for Batman. In '79, but nobody would touch it with a ten-foot pole, because he wanted to do a dark version, and all anyone ever knew was the 1966 version. So they were like, "Eh." Didn't and they do a Captain America that year? Like '79? There was, I think. Well, yeah, the cat There was the. Uh, t- I think that was a TV movie though. The I think you're America, right. I think you're right. The was Captain like- Americas were. You know, and you had Spider-Man in in electric company (laughs) (laughs) how about swamp thing when did Swamp thing come out uh that was mid early 80s right yeah Yeah. but it wasn't like a 10-pole whatever film it got it was like direct you know it was not a big film right probably people didn't know it was even a Mm -hmm. comic so, yeah, so we have Tim Burton in this, who this was only his third film, which will also which also started another trend, apparently, of picking uh, beginning <laughs> directors to handle your super mega budget superhero film. It set a precedent, I think. Uh, Glenn, how did you think Tim Burton handled the film as far as the direction goes and the vision that he presented on screen for this Batman?
0: I, I loved it. Um like I said before, I mean, aside from Dark Knight, this is my favorite Batman film. I love the way he took it. I mean, I mean and yeah, I mean up until this point, you know, for the most part, my Batman experience was uh was much more campy. And this was not <laughs> campy. It was it was dark and it was gritty. And I had read a little bit of Batman comics, but not much. I I've never Batman's never been one of my top heroes. You know, it's just like you know, it's he's a rich dude who could fight. Um <laughs>
1: Much like Iron Man. No, just
0: kidding. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I mean, a lot of, a lot of my, my thoughts on him now are, you know, have matured as I have, where I'm just like, man, how many homeless shelters could you fund with, you know, one bat jet? Um, <laughs>
2: ouch. Ouch.
0: <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, God, you know, it's, do you, do you need multiple, multiple bat cars? I mean, come on, man. But I, I, I love, I love the look, uh, you know i mean burton does you know does has a unique style to him and Mm -hmm. i I think that style translated very very well to batman yeah very very looming everything was very looming as far as like the architecture which just you know made for a grander story i think that you know it's the the city itself of gotham is is a huge character in this Mm -hmm. because of the way it's designed
1: well yeah, and looking at the, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, they talked about how practical they did and they went to Pinewood Studios cuz they didn't have anything big enough in LA. So they built most of those sets which let's all be honest now would be CGI, but I I love the world of Gotham Tim Burton. I mean, that's what caught me initially when watching this film. I agree completely. It's what I wanted from batman it was this dark gritty it wasn't all really bright colored you know um and and there were massive statues and buildings in that and i just love the set pieces they had in here paul how about you with with gotham and and tim's burton's vision of what he brought to batman
2: uh if you would have asked me two days ago i said that i would have said uh wholeheartedly that his vision was was stupid Oh really? <laughs> yeah, but watching it, uh, watching it uh, f- in preparation for this podcast, I really went in uh, with with looking at it from from the standpoint of how much I've learned about movies since mm-hmm. that time period, and uh, I, 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 I noticed things that I never noticed as a, as a kid. Uh, I noticed how certain scenes were were looked like panels from the co- from a comic book. Mm-hmm. I loved the way that they introduced Batman. You know, first in the background, you saw his shadow kind of falling down, and and the whole the whole cape was so dramatic, and it, it reminded me of wow, this is really this is really a, a comic book come to life, and it's not like the the newer films, which where they were trying to be very ultra real. Uh, this really felt like an artistic piece to me, and I would say yes, that this vision was. I guess this is a good example of what when they say that it was beyond or it was beyond its time or when it, it you know. And I think now I have a much greater appreciation, a much better understanding. And if you haven't watched the film in a long time, I, I would recommend trying to look at it from a standpoint of of not just, you know, Batman the character, look at it as from uh, Batman, the the comic book, come to the screen, you know, type of yeah. And the, but the framing, the, the way people are 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 blocked, it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's amazing. It looks like a comic book to me.
1: Yeah, I'm and glad color you choice. Oh, and the color choice definitely. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the opening because in the opening they start you off with uh, a, a dad and mom and a kid, and I yeah. swear it's almost leaning you to believe oh, we're getting the origin story now kind of thing, you know, a little bit, you know, they take a back alley. Your villains are grimy. The city is is grimy and dirty, even in the daytime. You, you know, Gotham is, this is one that I think a lot of comic book fans were hoping for because, yeah, the TV show was all bright and, and sunny and flat lighting and such. And here, the first time we get to see Batman, you, you see him in the shadows more so than full, you know, full on bat form. Until uh, you know he kicks the ass of the first two guys. Which I think that opening is important because that not only sets up it, that whole scene from when the kids are the the parent the family's going in the alley and they get mugged and the dad gets hit, and then you see Batman and even the conversation between the two thugs on the roof. That first like five, ten minutes like sets the tone for the whole movie, I think, to let you realize this is the type of movie you're into, folks. This is not the 1966 Batman. Um, you know, and, and I loved how that opened. And we don't get to see uh, Bruce Wayne right away after that. We actually are introduced to uh, Robert Wool's character, Alexander Knox. You know, and you've got, uh, he's talking to uh, not Commissioner Gordon, you know, <laughs> he, he's talking to Carl Grissom, So uh, not Carl Grissom, um, um, Eckhart. Eckhart, and you know, so you're like, oh, we got even new characters in here, so they started introducing all these newer characters in here, and, and I like the characters they had around the Joker and uh, Batman, because uh, they also were big names. I mean... Glenn, did it surprise you the 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 big names that they actually got attached to this film, uh, you know, for a film like this back then when it was kind of a risky film to make?
0: I was a little risky, but I mean, I don't think it was. I mean, they courted a lot, a mm-hmm. lot of people for this, and I mean, sure. uh, they pissed some off too. They pissed off Robin Williams big time uh, with this because. Um, when Nicholson was hemming and hawing, they offered the role to Robin Williams, which then got Nicholson to sign and Williams was like pissed that he was basically used as uh, you know, uh, leverage just to get Nicholson on the role. But I mean, they tried so many people for, uh, God, I'm trying to remember who they all, I mean, they wanted, uh, I mean, Charlie Sheen was considered, um, Willem Dafoe was considered for the Joker. Um, <laughs> Boy, I forget
1: who else. Um, they went through a number. Oh, there gosh. A- I mean,
0: Alec Baldwin, uh, mm-hmm. Emilio Estevez, Matthew Broderick. I mean, tons of people that they considered for this role. Uh, they considered Stallone and <laughs> Bruce Willis. And, uh, and they even considered Christopher Reeve, which I thought would have been incredibly just that bald- would have been- <laughs> stupid. Uh, that would have been weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, the list for people they considered for the role, I mean, Kurt Russell. I mean, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that?
1: <laughs> as as the Joker, that... yeah. Mel
0: Gibson was considered, no as as Bruce Wayne. Mel Gibson, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Schwarzenegger. These guys. These were all people that that they considered for the role. Yeah, it's uh and uh, Stallone himself. Uh, he he says this was the the big decline for like the the big action heroes because it all became much more about style uh, and like visual effects and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting the number of people, the, the big names that were potentially attached, and then they actually got. God, I mean, if I remember right, they they Burden wanted I, I think he wanted like Christopher Lee in here, and I think Martin Landau was was originally considered for the role of Carl Grissom. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's... so many, so many people. I mean, just <laughs> it, it would have been so. So different if any of these, I mean, that they consider for the role of Batman. I mean, Mm -hmm. Kelsey Grammer. You mentioned Fraser Crane as Batman. (laughs) I mean, mean, you know, people, people say like, people say like, you know, Michael Keaton, but I'm like Albert Brooks. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean.
1: Yeah. And they got Keaton when Burton was on and a lot of people I mean, there was, like I said, I was watching the behind-the-scenes stuff and I forgot about some of the stuff. The Wall Street Journal apparently had an article on its front page saying, what is Warner Brothers thinking casting Michael Keaton from Mr. Mom as Batman? <laughs> so you had you had rage back then about casting. It just took longer for it to get out. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think we've... We, so the Batman also started that. See, it started fan rage. Look at that. It, <laughs> yeah. Not only did it start this superhero trend, it started the trend of superhero fans complaining about casting. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they did say, though, once they got Jack Nicholson on, it, you have to admit it did give weight to a comic book film, and I think that's when people started taking serious note of going, oh, this is going to be a different type of film because, well, Jack Nicholson's attached to it, <laughs> you, you know? Uh, and so that's what I, from what they said, that's what kind of brought in a lot of the other people. Um, and, and then you get Jack Palance, who's actually in a small role, but as, you know, Jack Nicholson's boss, Paul, can you think of any other actor who could pull off being Jack Nicholson's boss other than Jack Palance? <laughs>
2: uh yeah, it would it would be tough. But some of the some of the ones that they were considering for, for Jack that Glenn mentioned kind of would have made me think, hey, that would have been a good Carl Grissom, you know, type character. <laughs> I, I I would see that. And you know, thinking about it now, you know, with, with the kind of the, the joke of, of him doing push-ups. You know, yesterday I, I was I was wanting him to do push-ups. yeah um, <laughs> I just really did. And I was like wait no i oh so it, it took me out but he he was a, he was a great great part and and you really do need somebody that can kind of not not be intimidated by jack <laughs> playing jack i guess um yes. so so yeah you needed somebody that especially if that guy is supposed to be his boss mm-hmm. so yeah good choice good choice
1: Yeah, and and with that Carl Grissom character in this Batman, we get more of a gangster feel that kind of fit the set pieces that they had. And I kind of liked that, that it kind of, you couldn't quite tell what period it is. It was kind of, they were kind of going for 50s because you had the gangsters in that, but you had some of the newer equipment in there as well. Glenn, what'd you think about the period that they had and the fact that they kind of took, Jack Nicholson and the Joker and uh, Carl Grissom kind of made the organized crime angle with it. Uh, that's kind of true to the comic, wasn't it?
0: I believe so. Like, I mean, like I said I haven't read a lot of Batman comics. So, sure, sure. Um, but I think that's that's fairly close to the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean the organized crime thing. I mean it's 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 more of what Batman did. I mean, yeah, he has his, you know the Joker and whatnot, but I mean, a lot of his stuff, Gotham in general is just, you know, organized crime was like the big bad thing.
1: Yeah, it, it was. And I think it, it helped give him extra guys to fight. So it's not just Batman and Joker. It's Joker's organization of, you know, organized crime syndicate more so than just mano y mano. Uh, but I, I like the setting and, and the fact that they did make it kind of, Older school, as far as the look with the clothes and that, yet you weren't quite sure what period, which was carried through to the animated series, uh, you know, which was great to see. But what do you think about the Paul with the set pieces and kind of the time not really establishing a specific time period where this takes place?
2: Uh, again, because I, I thought that they were being artistically uh, trying to present a comic book feel. Mm-hmm. It, it really did make me think that yeah they were taking they were taking inspiration from the from the pages and and they did whatever they needed to do with their embellishments and I mean it, it looked you know some some of the things is uh, like oh these pipes don't make any sense but hey it make, makes it look interesting <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah they they did a good job uh, yeah so it, and it overall again added to that whole feel of the comic book, which uh, I didn't appreciate as a kid because I was so
1: excited about,
2: (gasps) it's Batman on the screen,
1: man. (laughs) Oh yeah. I, I mean, the, the the excitement to it, and I watch this at least a couple times a year. I fully admit it because uh, <laughs> I just I love this movie so much. Uh, but you know, you do still get a little bit of hints. I think for the '66 Batman, like our James Gordon, who I don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, I love Pat Hingle. Come on, you know, <laughs> you know from from a uh, freaking Maximum Overdrive, you know, so he's in here, but his Commissioner Gordon isn't quite as bumbling as the TV commissioner Gordon, but he's, I, you get the impression he's not quite, uh, uh, you know, uh, that skilled. Don't you, uh, Paul, you you still get kind of the feeling like he's in over his head and that's why you have Batman.
2: Yes. You you needed, well, I think that was their kind of way of explaining why crime could go on as, as it should. Sure. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it kind of felt that way, you know, um, and, of course, he had all a, these
2: corrupt mm-hmm. cops inside of his own organization. He probably didn't know how many how – many, uh, probably 50% of them were all crooks. He just mm-hmm. didn't realize it.
1: <laughs> so. you, you know what's interesting with the behind the scenes when they were doing uh, – when I was watching that on the Blu-ray, they yeah. actually had a segment in there that wasn't in the movie that must have hit the cutting room floor mm-hmm. where they have Commissioner Gordon doing the speech just before they do the lighting. Yeah. Talking about how they will weed out every crooked cop here in Gotham yes! City, and make, I'm like, oh, where was that part? <laughs> no kidding. But see, that would have changed his character. <laughs> it it would have changed it a bit, you know. And uh, you know, Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent showing up in here. Uh, you know, they, they were talking about it that back in '89. They still didn't plan on like franchises. Mm-hmm. But Burton said with the casting of Billy D, he always kind of had the fantasy of, well, you know, if we do go to make another one, it would be cool to have him as Harvey Dent. <laughs> um, but it was cool to see Billy D in here. Uh, and then uh, Alfred Pennyworth. Uh, Glenn, what'd you think of Michael uh, Goh's character as Alfred Pennyworth? I thought it, it was pretty spot on. Oh, yeah. He was a great Alfred. Mm hmm. He was, he was good. I mean, my favorite scene with him is still right in the beginning where we're introduced to Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne, where he's kind of, uh, you know, uh, just follows behind him like a little, sh- like a shadow, <laughs> you <laughs> that know, was picking great. up the glass at that. I mean, that, yeah. that, that was just a great scene. Now, what'd you think of that? Because that added some humor. There is some humor worked in here, Glenn. Did you think the humor worked? Like they put just enough in here? but still kept it dark. Do you think they kept a, a decent balance in here?
0: I think so. I think they, yeah, I, th- I think there was just enough to keep it going without being too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. I mean, Cause it, like you get the scene too, later on where Batman uh, first crashes through the window after you get the uh, art gallery scene. And uh, you know, he, he has his, uh, Batarang out, uh, or the the bat, you know, uh, grapple, and he asks her if she's hundred <laughs> yeah. yeah. and eight pounds. Yeah, then she, they don't make it all the way up, and then after uh, she does the takes the pictures, and he kicks the guy's butts. Uh, he goes, "You weigh a little more than 108. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, there's great little moments like that, and I I, I thought it was fun because it showed you too that. They were acknowledging, I think, hey, we are still making a comic book film. Uh, Paul, how about you with the balance of humor in here with it? And some of the dark humor, too, like, you know, the, the makeup uh, with the jokers, uh, you know, special makeup that caused people to die with smiles on their faces.
2: Yeah. Uh, as, as for the, the balance of humor, I truly felt that without that little bits of humor, the whole relationship that Bruce Wayne has with Vicky Vale would have fell apart mm-hmm. in, in my mind. Uh the the my favorite funny scene was when they were <laughs> sitting at the table on opposite ends and they were they were like talking to each other from you know this great distance and he he she asks him if if he's like you know if if he mm-hmm. eats in this type of room and he was like he thinks about it for a moment he was like Honestly, I don't think I've ever been in this room before. <laughs> and I think that humor truly like disarmed her mm-hmm. as well. And I think that allowed that whole relationship to kick off. And and then you got to see uh the the different side of Batman because I am not a huge fan of, of the dark knight. I don't I don't view Batman as always being this brooding
0: what are you talking about? Exactly what are you about Paul. Oh. It, it, it bugs me. It bugs me., um, well, and, you, don't, you didn't want to hear Have you ever to do a cool lunch? Oh.
2: <laughs> no. And so I needed I needed the balance and I needed I needed I needed somebody to show me that Batman is something that I can be. you know. And And so the Bruce Wayne, having that sense of humor, having that balance, Really did help me to to make uh make me feel like yeah i w- I could be Batman, yeah, I could be Batman um, I,
1: think, I think that was part of the reasons why they may have uh, also casted uh michael, michael? Keaton, yeah. not only because he's got a dark side and he can act with his eyes, but I think it helped give the idea of well, he's a little bit more common guy looking, even though he's Bruce Wayne, you yeah. know. And so that gives you the little more of a, oh, you know, I could be bad. <laughs> and and maybe, he, you know, yeah, there's There's only one other person that I know of that
2: can work silence as well as he did.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that would be Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> it would be
1: Glenn, yes. Uh, Glenn Glenn is definitely the master of working on silence. Uh, but we mentioned Vicki Valen here, who's a love interest, who shows up. She's the reporter, who well, the yeah. photographer, who did do Vogue Cosmo, and then she did more, uh, a deadly more more dangerous stuff stuff and she's played by Kim Basinger and what I find interesting is that if it wasn't for a horse accident Sean Young would have been Vicky Aww. Vale Aww. Gwen what would you think of if Sean Young and and how'd you feel Kim Basinger did in this role
0: I think she did fine
1: mm-hmm. um <laughs> For the, for the part she's playing, I mean, she's basically the damsel in distress.
0: For yeah, me. I mean, she's, this Vicki this Vale is not really written as a strong character. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so, I mean, I think Kim Basinger, Basinger, uh, whatever, <laughs> um, uh, is just fine in the role. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's not a spectacular role.
1: No, it's not the best written one, I will fully admit, although I love this movie. it is Her role is just kind of in there to be the damsel in distress, but we are talking 89 yet. Uh, But, uh, yeah, well, apparently, though, she was called on like a a week or so uh, before they had to shoot because uh, Sean Young uh, fell and, and hurt herself on a horse. And so I think... I think she might have would have played it differently. Uh, do you think she would have played it differently, Glenn? Sure, probably. I mean,
0: a little bit. I mean, again, you know, the, the role only had so much to offer.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Uh, Paul, how about you uh, with Vicky Vale and, and Kim Basinger's performance in here? I mean, she, she didn't really have the strongest role. That's true, but... Oh, now, now I have
2: this huge emptiness in my heart. Why? I I would have loved to have seen. (laughs) Oh, because I. Oh, Sean Young fan are (laughs) you? Yeah, because that's like my second favorite. You know, the uh, Blade Runner is my second favorite. Oh, sure. Oh, But now, yeah, yeah. I just. Oh my God, I would have. Now, now I'm going to watch the movie, and I'm just going to mentally (laughs) lament. Yeah. Well, no. I'm going to mentally edit uh, Kimmy B out, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to I'm just going to photo replace her in
1: my head. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, sorry, didn't mean to 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 cause you pain but, or whatnot.
2: But no. See, th- this is this is why we have podcasts. About, you know, people ask, why do you have podcasts about shows that we haven't seen in like a million bajillion years? This is why, because you find out something new every time. <laughs> oh
0: my god.
1: Uh, well yeah yeah. and like you said i think she did fine and this was the big movie uh event when it came out and as we said we've said set pieces of the character in here there's uh, a couple of different scenes though that i thought uh, i wanted to talk about namely was the the museum scene (laughs) which uh i think is great and it uses prince's song in it and the story behind Prince's music is interesting because he was also a Warner Brothers label artist. And apparently they were thinking of different people to do music, and they and uh, Prince showed it interest, you know, in in and now what we know about him apparently he went ahead and recorded a bunch of bat songs <laughs> for the movie, and he had Burton come out and listen to a few. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so he had them already done, apparently. Uh, but you use Party Man in here, and I thought that was really appropriate. And it's interesting that Prince wrote it, you know, not reading the script, just knowing the uh, movie and not really knowing the script, wrote a song that that really fit, I think, the entrance of the Joker into the museum to Vicky Vale. Uh, How did you feel about the museum scene in here, Uh Glenn, because this is really the first time we really get all three characters together.
0: Um, It's fine. I mean, it, it...
1: Do you think Prince's music worked with it or does it take you out of it a little bit? Prince's music
0: works with everything. So <laughs> I don't see how this is a
1: valid question. Sure, good point. Good. Good, um, very, very yeah. good point. So. That that is a good point. How about you, Paul, in the the museum scene? <laughs> well, it,
2: it, I mean, considering that a lot of the Danny Elfman type music was was radically different in this in this type of film,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and to to have that party man, it, it just kicked it up, and and it made it very much like a a fun atmosphere, and you knew that the scene was was meant to be a little bit fun, a little bit dangerous, you know. And, and very dark, considering yeah, you had all
1: dark. the dead patrons around. Yes. Mickey Vale.
2: <laughs> and but, so, yeah, that was an extremely interesting choice. And uh, Prince did a, a wonderful job with
1: it, too. Well, that that album, I think, well, the song Bat Dance hit oh. before the movie came out. And in fact. The marketing machine behind Batman, I think, is why we have the marketing machine we do today for superhero films. <laughs> but the, the Prince's album, I, you know, the music he came up with, I, I dig it. I love that. I've played that album so many times. But again, I was a fan, so I ate up everything that was Batman. But yeah, the Party Man really fits the Joker character and the scene. And so to find out that he went ahead and wrote this and then they put it in the film, you know, they'd not it was one of those things where it's just I, I think it was a perfect match because, yeah, it is Prince. So there you go. Um, but you get some great dialogue in here when Joker meets Vicky Vale for the first time uh, in here with the museum scene. And he gives one of my favorite lines, and I wish they would have worked it in later on. I don't know if you, you, you guys had seen the uh, comic book version of the film but in uh, the museum, the Joker uh, Vicky Vale asks the Joker uh, what do you want and and of course he delivers that great line my face on the one dollar bill you know apparently there was a scene where the money he was throwing out at the end was dollar bills with his face on it nice And I'm like, oh, that should have been in the film. (laughs) Uh, But it was because I I bring up the museum scene one because it launches uh, one of our big uh, major action scenes in this film. And we get introduced to the Batmobile, my favorite Batmobile, still right next to the 1966 one. Paul, the Batmobile, your thoughts with their design and what they came up with for Batmobile. It was
2: great, and I, I remember, too, that there was just as much controversy about the Batmobile as, as Michael Keaton because they were trying to compare it to the TV, the iconic Batmobile of that, you know, series. And I just remember a lot of people were either huge fans or they, they said, you know, oh, this is nothing – you know, why is it shaped like this? Why is it doing this? Why is it got a, you know, why has it got the, the intakes? And I thought it w- they did a really nice job. I thought they, they made it realism. And I, I love the bat armor that went around mm-hmm. the thing. I thought that was the coolest effect uh, up to that time, you know, because I had not, I, I never, you know,
1: it just it looked really cool. It's like... And I wish my car would have done that. <laughs> the, the the yeah the armadillo armor, which was which was great, yeah. uh, but even with that, the shape, everything with that, I I just love that car so much. I want to own that car. Uh, but I think what works too is they pretty much built from scratch their own vehicle, which I yeah. think helps work. Uh, Glenn, did you think? Uh, what'd you think of the original? Uh, of uh, not the original, but this Batmobile. Uh, how'd that uh, work for you as far as its design and and everything about you know when you see it, how'd you feel about it? Oh, it was super cool. Mm-hmm.
0: It was mega cool. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, I, I, I you know, and it, no, it was just it was awesome. I love it.
2: The scene with the machine guns, just like cutting, cutting, just cutting through the door, going, and then just
1: watching it fall through. Oh, well, they pop up out of the battle It's great. I know. And yet what I loved about the design of it is because it it, just like just about everything else in this film, everything fit within this world. You know, this might not be your favorite Joker, but the Jack Nicholson Joker was perfect for this world that Burton built. This Batman fit and this Batmobile was such a great piece. And they built the thing. The thing was practical and they built it. And you hadn't really seen something done with that scale, I think. You know, with a superhero, food because Superman flew. Yeah. So Superman didn't really have cool gadgets. So the fact we had Batman in this badass car that apparently was fast. And unfortunately, the uh, the Pinewood Studios, where they built the set, was only like a uh, quarter mile long or half mile <laughs> long. So they never were able to open up the, Batman, uh, the Batmobile until they do that uh, scene with it driving through the woods. Mm-hmm. Where they could actually realize its full potential because they did basically build it from scratch, yet again, they gave a little nod to the original Batmobile because it still had the jet engine yep. on the back it still had the jet on the back, so while you don't have your uh you know turbines to speed and atomic <laughs> batteries to power, yep. it still had that feel and I just this is my favorite batmobile and I would say that it influenced the comic Batmobile for many years afterwards, as far as the one you saw in the comics. Wouldn't you say, Paul? I, w- I would say so. I would say so. That, uh, that design. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, too, I think
2: it, it, it kind of it looked to me like Batman, too. It looked like, you know, I, I could see this being a car that Batman drives. I mean, it had those little pointy fin things that reminded me of the ears of Batman, you know? So I, th- it was a really good design. You can't fault that design, except when you were in the 19, 1980s or whatever. Because apparently there were enough people that did fault it.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the the Batman, the <laughs> Batman, the Batmobile in nineteen sixty six. That one's a cool. Don't get me wrong. That's a badass car too. I'll take that one. But yeah. this one is is just my favorite. I love this Batmobile. You know, I I would sell a kidney. To own this Batmobile, I loved it so much, man. When this came, when it came on the screen, you know, good old, good old what, what crepes? What how old was I? Like thirteen, maybe at the time when it came out, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I love you know. But this by that time, I was into this movie so much. But not only do we get a Batmobile, but we also get the Batwing. Uh, I, I mean, the Batwing. Even though you know where he. F- where... <laughs> the groan part? Huh?
0: The the groaning part. Is that what you're talking about when he flies yeah. up in front of the freaking moon? I I didn't grow into that. That was that was that was artistic comic book. Oh. Nah, I loved it.
1: Yeah. Ah! <laughs> did you not like that scene? No, <laughs> not. Nah. Little, little bat symbol in the moon. Uh, but what did you think of the bat wing though, Glenn? Did you like the design of it?
0: Yeah, except boy, talk about a pointless piece of machinery that can be brought down with one shot from a big pistol. <laughs>
1: thank you, thank you. That is a complaint that many have, and, and I fully recognize as well. Uh, I recognize all the flaws in the film, including that. That yes, he, he though the Joker could have hit him where the bat claw was, that's could be a weakness in the armor, you know, where he hit the bat claw. Oh, and we got Mr. Scotty D, uh, who is uh, in our chat. So hello, screw Scotty that. D. Screw that
0: guy. <laughs> that guy. <laughs>
2: uh, oh, we got a live one here. <laughs> uh,
1: Scotty D says, uh, screw you too, Glenn. So just thought I'd let you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Boy, someone we wants to be rebanned
0: from Wisconsin, I think, is what it is. <laughs> we could
1: put a ban on Wisconsin, uh, but we, we couldn't ban Scotty D, though. You know, I don't know if he'd want to come to Wisconsin, but uh, <laughs> but we have uh, this big showdown near the end, which uh, is one of the big pieces. And they used models for a lot of stuff, because this, again, is before CGI. And Paul, what do you think about the models? Do you think I mean, there's a few scenes in here that date it, but do you think that helps? uh kind of uh you know keep this film from feeling too dated with the models and the all the practical effects in this film
2: Uh, sometimes i'm i've i've been lately getting uh i'm almost reversing my stance on on cg uh Uh, yeah i don't know why but it's (laughs) i think sometimes if it's done correctly uh it, it can be okay but in this particular film, the modeling—I thought the modeling was done fine. I didn't. I wasn't distracted by it. It looked real uh, to me. Yeah, there were a few weird scenes, um, but o- overall, I mean, I didn't mind it. I just—I think they did a good job. It was a good choice with what what they had available, you know. So, uh,
1: I, honestly, I've. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if, if you start liking CGI more than practical, Paul. We're going to have to seriously rethink I know. The membership to the I know. Room. I, but it's, it's not going to be more
2: than I'm just. I'm just not going to uh, hate on it as much, you know. Oh, okay, right. And and there because there, I've I've also seen movies where they use practical effects that are not intentionally supposed to be humorous
1: and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like true, oh. true. There, there are a few moments especially in this film too where are uh, near the end but it's funny listening to the commentary from tim burton he he was saying some of the shots the technology wasn't quite there and you can yeah. tell he kind of would have liked to go back uh <laughs> yeah. redo a couple of but he did like the models shots glenn how about you did you like the models and such in the here do you think it it kind of helps keep it from being a little bit dated anyway
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i I love model shots. I love practical effects. I mean, mm-hmm. even even the the very very obvious model shots in the Godzilla movie. I've always been a fan of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I thought they were really well done uh, in here as well. And and you know the big cathedral piece, which is where the big showdown uh, comes in for the Batman and uh, the Joker. And I just bell love coming down yeah, and the bell coming down. I just oh. love that, that set piece. Uh, you know, it, it goes along with the rest of them, but did you, how'd you like that? that whole journey up the, the bell tower, Paul, uh, do you think that it was good for kind of building up a little of this final epic connect, you know, battle with the uh, juggernauts?
2: Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because again, uh, uh, I can't, I, I keep repeating myself. But uh, the whole artistic comic book feel—it mm-hmm. it felt like okay, these are panels. You got to show them progressing someplace. You know, you, you start from one place, you you end up in another place, and then you and then you do battle. And that's how I I was I was picturing it. And I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. And like you said, it does build up suspense and. And I think nowadays, though, I think they would have they would have said it was influenced by video games, you know, <laughs>
1: where uh, they had to they had to have levels as, as the guy. <laughs> really? Well, you do have the boss fights, but yeah. you know, <laughs> a lot of action pieces, you know, where uh, it, you feel like you're going through the different boss levels of video games because video games, I you know, are modeled off of those action films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this showdown. What I thought was interesting, too, with this one versus, you know, even what you kind of get later on. Uh, but even in the comic, physical uh, fighting between Batman and the Joker. Joker was never really a fisticuffs fighter, was he, Glenn? He, he really was more of the sneaky, stabby-in-the-back kind of guy, wasn't he? And uh, did you think that was odd when you had Batman, who's all physical, though, here at the end, beat up on Jack Nicholson? <laughs> Is it? You know, by then Jack's so bad you don't. You, you want to see Batman beat the crap out of him?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I, I want to see someone beat up Jack Nicholson all the time. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah, no, I yeah, I I mean it's fine. I mean that's mm-hmm. he needs a good thumping.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he does. <laughs> and, uh, for the. um action scenes in general not only this uh, final battle but throughout when we do get Batman fighting uh, how do you feel about the choreography with those fights Glenn uh, and, and the fighting that they had in this film did it did it feel good for you did it feel a little stiff how are what are your thoughts with the fighting in this film because it is an action film so it is I mean it's fine for when
0: it came out obviously I mean we've gone to the point now where, I mean, everything is so over the top um, that, I mean, you know, if, if this was made today and that was the fighting that they used, it would look terrible. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, but for when it was made, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not, it's, it's. I would probably say it's more realistic Sure. than what we see today where it's, you know, it's just so ridiculous.
1: Um, you think Batman would have had it like four times as many enemies in the belfry
0: oh yeah it would have been like 30 guys and uh yeah
1: (laughs) but yeah i i I thought it felt like natural brawls kind of out of the comic where they weren't overdone like you're saying today yeah well every comic book fight seems to want to go bigger paul would you say that that the fights in Batman uh, felt a little bit more at least realistic or, or and how'd you feel about the choreography of these fights
2: I I think they were a little stiff unfortunately uh, I think the modern modern interpretations of Batman show him being much more uh, much more exciting much more but again fighting in a in a cowl is very uh, realistically you couldn't you couldn't do all the fancy things so I mean obviously that was physical limitations but you know, with with uh, with the Christian Bale Batman, they got around it by giving him a much more articulate um, cowl and he was able to fight a little bit better. And then with uh, with the uh, Batman versus or Batman V Superman version, uh, that was an amazing fight. And it's like, I, I loved that fight. And so when I look back at the fights in here, it was like,
1: oh, wow. God, see, see, and I love it. Yeah, I I love the fights in here, uh, especially the final fight. Um, Mm -hmm. my one of my favorite fights is, of course, where he 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 you know fights against the the second to last boss, he doesn't fight the Joker, he fights the the big guy. And I love the choreography with that one, where the guy's like knocking bricks off and you (laughs) know, he's beating the snot out of each other. And uh, I I love the the fights in here because I too felt like they felt a little bit more natural, a little more brawl like. And yeah, they were a little stiff, but they even brought that up in the the behind the scenes stuff that that suit apparently the way they built it in that was heavy as hell. (laughs) And so it was a bit difficult, you know, even though it was the stunt man, though apparently Michael tried to do as much as possible for some of the stuff they did have the stunt man in there for the, you know, and it was tough for them to move because of the design. And that's why I think later on, which uh, will be the film we talk about next week, which is Batman returns. uh, His suit is designed a little bit differently. It's more like armor rather than, Uh, one whole chess piece so i i think they did kind of learn from that as well um so yeah you know batman (laughs) I, i love this film so much and after watching the behind the scenes realized that on the while i love it it also set that really wonderful precedent of marketing because uh so much for this film came out before the film came out. Do you remember that, Glenn? How much uh, marketing they did for this movie before it ever even... Oh know. my
0: god, it was ridiculous.
1: <laughs>
0: and if if I had known that this was a uh, a sign of things to come, I mean,
1: Christ! <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got i still got it hanging on my wall my uh, it's a uh, corduroy bat hat. That I have. Um, but I remember back then. You Before the movie came out. There was so much merchandise. There was Joker clothing. And Batman clothing. And Bat ties. And uh, what's funny though. Is there wasn't a Batman huge amount of. Flame thrower. Wait, no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Batman the
0: flamethrower. Yes.
1: Batman the flamethrower. But what's interesting. Is there weren't a lot of product placements in the movie yet because this is before its time there was really not a movie marketed like this or handled like this really before i mean closest was star wars but as far as superhero films go and comic book films really you just had superman and there wasn't nearly as much hype but the merchandising holy crap but you still don't get a lot of product placement in here do you paul which i think helps keep it from being too dated you know because of (laughs) pop culture references would you say that helps I think it does. I, I think it does. Uh, it would have,
2: it would have taken me out of the, uh, the whole comic book thing, uh, if they would have had product placement involved, like, if like, he, like modern day stuff. Yeah, like if he drove past a McDonald's. Yeah. And and he popped a Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! If if Batman would have popped a Pepsi, I I would have been, and and, and I I just want to I want to tell you that re- remember. I didn't. I didn't actually have to worry about any of that marketing stuff, because I was on a farm. <laughs> oh, that's true. You did, yeah. So you, it was you, very interesting to hear you guys talk about how
1: much it had overflowed. <laughs> I oh, didn't yeah, really was, realize that it was everywhere, man. But you know, even, when, when this film came out, it was huge. It, it exploded. It was one of or the most expensive film at that time that Pinewood Studios had ever produced. And luckily enough, it took off because of that marketing machine, which unfortunately, as Glenn said, was a sign of things to come because every superhero film since has pretty much been marketed like the Batman film. But they did it first, and they didn't know what they were quite doing. So I get—I guess, guess you could give them credit there. Uh, but when this came out, even, Burton talked about how uh, he got flack and... You know we, we think about it today but apparently even back then as I mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast uh, he got death threats ah. because they had Vicki Vale show up in the bat cave oh yes yes <laughs> how'd you how'd you feel about that Paul when uh when that happened when uh, we get because they were romantically involved she kind of suspected uh. and Alfred just lets her into the bat cave. <laughs> well the 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 male
2: chauvinistic uh, sexist in me says, "You do not let anyone into your man cave, but <laughs> the the real the real me says because I love romances I thought, ah, that's cool you know somebody she he, somebody somebody is trustworthy enough to be in the deepest darkest secret of of
1: Batman. oh God, that sounded bad um <laughs> Um, well, they went deep earlier that's why he was hanging upside down he down just yes that was great
2: going from somewhere else <laughs> but yeah no that that to me showed uh trust that 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 was you know <laughs> i i know you don't watch batman for the romances right but it oh, showed i you all the time uh, uh, it, it's the levels you know you started out with this this very basic relationship. They didn't know each other. In fact, he didn't even acknowledge who he was at the beginning. And then when she got to find out about him and and then they have this little moment and then they have a little dinner uh, away from the actual main dinner and, and it slowly builds up. And, and by this time, at that point, having her at the Batcave, to me was a, like a, uh, a show of, of uh, uh, an actual Fully developed romance that you don't get to really see in an action film. Usually, it's it's the the
1: short way, you know,
2: mm-hmm. the shortcut way.
1: And, and so, what, Also, while we're talking about death threats, apparently, he also got death threats, and he actually stopped going to Comic Cons because people were pissed that the Joker was the reason was the person who killed Batman's parents. How do oh, you feel yeah. about that one, Paul?
2: Oh God. honestly it didn't really matter i thought story-wise it's a much better thing because you tie you tie in the uh the villain to the to the hero and vice versa you know that whole line of i created you you created me type of thing i thought that was a much better story who you know who cares about the the origin in this particular i know blasphemy right
1: blasphemy if anyone wants Paul's email so fans can write to him about, yeah. you know, who cares about the, the, the <laughs> story of superhero films, contact us after the show. And yeah. let you know. Well, I was going <laughs> to give it up, but <laughs> what, what do you think about these two th- things that uh, according to Tim Burton, he apparently got death threats for and got people pissed off was the fact that uh, Joker killed his, you know, Batman's parents and he had Vicki Vale in the cave. <laughs> Yes, we got a sigh. <laughs> yeah, um, can
0: you imagine if we had today's internet back then? Oh, oh, no. oh great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, no, there. Hell hath no fury like a fanboy scorned. Oh my God! It's just, I mean, do, do I do I get annoyed when when things you know when they change things around? Yes, I do. But I mean, I would never give a death threat to someone because they did something. I mean, I robot with Will Smith? Not at all. Not at all. I robot. Not even close. Would I threaten Will Smith with death? No. I don't I don't even, you know, it's like my god, what is wrong with you people? It's it's I mean, if if this story means if that means so much to you that you think that someone should die because of it. You really, really need to probably be locked up because there's something <laughs> fucking wrong with you.
1: Yeah, and it's not like, and they made this point too in in the commentary. Is you know, it's not like the comics haven't been reimagined and you have alternate storylines and stuff like that before. And we've touched on that before with other comic book films as well, where you know fans are up in arms and it's like, well, which version do you want? You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter anyway. Cause they still paid big bucks to see it. And it made huge bank and enough for them to justify a second one, which I think we'll wrap it up here tonight. We, uh, I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Not so much a spoiler discussion as just a discussion in general of how this film pretty much set the standard and showed to studios that other superheroes besides Superman were marketable, though it would take them a while to catch up. (laughs) Uh, You know, I hope hope this uh, wet your whistle a little bit for those of you who hadn't watched it before. um, You know, uh, check it out. Just because it's 1989, I think you may just be surprised. So uh, we'll go down the line here. And why don't you guys give your final thoughts on Batman? uh, If you think it really truly was the template set for the way comic book films are today and uh, where they can find you at. So, Paul, why don't you go first and uh, give your final thoughts and where they can find you at?
2: Um, Like I said, this was a much better movie in terms of nuance uh, watching it as an adult. So if you remember watching it as a child and loving it uh, now with a few, you know, few years of movie experience under your belt, go watch the film again and see what you can um, see, see what nuance that you can find from the film. Like I did, and hopefully it will change your ideas of what this film was like. Um, And Honestly, I'm, I'm still all broken up by the, the Sean Young thing. I, I don't even oh.
1: remember where I can be now. Do, do you want me to break your heart even more? There was supposed to be a scene with Robin in it. Oh. Yeah. Apparently, they had it all storyboarded out. It's on the Blu-ray. There's an animated. They did animated. They had uh, uh, the Mark Hamill and uh uh, the guy who does the voice for batman for the animated series do the voices Uh for it and they showed the storyboard apparently batman is supposed to be chasing the joker in a van Uh and they end up going past the circus circus oh and it's because of the joker that uh, robin's family dies (laughs) oh (laughs) And that was a whole scene, apparently. That's where they uh scripted it out, uh, and they just never shot it because it didn't fit in the film. And I have to agree that that would have been that just was too much, early, yeah, too way early. too much too early for a film like this. So, uh, but uh, we'll give you a little uh, chance to think about where people can find you at. Uh, we'll go yeah. to Glenn, Glenn, uh, your final thoughts with uh, Batman if you think it was maybe the 10. 10- Plate for what we have today for comic book films. Then uh, where can he find you at?
0: I think it definitely changed the way that uh, that not just superhero movies but action movies in general were were made. It kind of changed a lot of stuff. Where you know it's it became a lot more about about effects and style uh, as opposed to just uh, punching stuff and, <laughs> and just and, and just a high body count. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just. Uh, Definitely, definitely the the landmark film uh, of superheroes. I mean, it, it changed it forever. Uh, and mind you, we didn't have tons of superhero films to begin with, but we had enough where this uh, really shook things up.
1: Hmm. Yeah, they 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 showed how uh, how to do it right, and they were kind of playing it <laughs> by ear because they would never done such a, something so big before. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, there you have it, folks. Uh, Glenn, where can they find you at then when you're not here? You can find me on YouTube
0: with the People of Bunker and Guy in a Bunker Productions. You can find me at Guyinabunker.com, at Mistrunner.com. You can find me at GNcast.com with the Adventure Party, my gaming podcast I do with the wonderful Brad Ludwig. Or you can just follow me on Twitter at Guyinabunker.
1: Awesome stuff. Check out his uh, reviews. Great stuff there, as well as the Adventure Party podcast. Uh, That's a great listen, especially if you're into tabletop gaming and such. So great stuff there, Glenn. And uh, Paul, do you remember now where they could find you at when you're not here? Yes,
2: I got got my thoughts together.
1: Got my thoughts together. Uh,
2: You can find find my uh, regular reviews uh, at my blog at ForsakenFilmReviews.com. Uh, You can find podcasts uh, that I am involved in, other than the spoiler room, at the Astro Radio Z Network, where the current uh, podcast that I have is about William Castle's classic 13 Ghosts. And uh, I also have a uh, project that I'm working on called the Northeast Wisconsin Horror Film Festival, which you can uh, get more information about at newhorrorfest.com.
1: Fantastic! And you can find links to all their stuff on specialmarkproductions.com as well as our spoiler room archive. Please like, rate us, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Help us out! Check out our Facebook page. Uh, it, it's on. Uh, not only do we have a page, but we also have a group where you can interact with us on uh, facebook.com/groups/slash. Slash SMPRD. You can join the group and even have a say in what we talk about. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, we are doing Bat Month in June. So next week, look for our episode where we're going to talk about Batman Returns. Tim Burton, Michael Keaton are back in the saddle again and find out how we felt about the sequel to this mega hit of Batman 1989. Thank you so much folks. Catch us same bat time, same bat channel on the iTunes. Now, say good night, my friends. Good night, my friends. Good night.